Amen. And how about our four-handed piano over there? Thank you both so much. Amazing. The anthem proclaimed, a mighty fortress is our God. And to that we hold true, but what happens in life when evil seems to be winning? Such is the case as was read in our scripture. Joseph, that mighty patriarch of the faith, had left a family line of, in fact, 12 brothers who were going to grow and increase in number in Egypt. But as they grew, the people in power, namely Pharaoh, feared. And as many dictators will oftentimes do, Pharaoh was one that authored a genocide of state control. To be a part of his plan, he called in two midwives, Shipra and Puha, two people that he undoubtedly believed he could control and coerce to be participants in his plan. But as surely as Pharaoh told these two midwives, kill every single male baby that is born, these two individuals were looking forward to the opportunity to get into good trouble. Have you ever heard of that term, good trouble? Some of you are thinking, well, of course not, pastor. Every trouble I've ever been in is bad. Who here still feels a cold shiver run up your spine when you hear the words, oh, you're in trouble? My brother who is here today was one who certainly said that to me. And my mom was one that could make the greatest fears come true when she would say, just wait until your father gets home and hears about this. I think all of us sit up a little straighter. Our spine stiffens, our lip quivers when we think that we are in trouble, but especially when we feel like we are in trouble with God. But you know, there's also a good trouble that we can enter into Something that we proclaim while being perhaps seen as wrong by the world is right with God. Yes, it will carry along with it earthly consequences, some of which are dire, but they are worth the cost because in the end, our God is praised and his plan comes to fruition because we were willing to say, I can be a part of good trouble. That quote that was referenced to you by Reverend Ingram at the top of your worship bulletin was originally authored by a gentleman and a civil rights activist named John Lewis, one who was born here in this very state of Georgia and was a contemporary of Martin Luther King Jr. It was Lewis who, on the date of March 7th, 1965, was on a march from Selma, Alabama to the the capital of Montgomery. When they got to the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they were met with 400 armed police officers that said, disperse or else. Undeterred, Lewis and the protesters marched forward where they were engaged with police brutality, leaving many, including Lewis, severely beaten and fearful for their very lives. Lo and behold, after that mob scene ended, the group concluded their march to Montgomery, Alabama, and eventually the rights for voting for all were secured. 
It was Lewis who later quoted, reflecting on events like that at the Edmund Pettus Bridge and others who said the following, never ever be afraid to make some noise and get into good trouble, necessary trouble. This is not something that is just true for Lewis, but oh, so many others. Think about the name of Malala. This was a 12-year-old Pakistani girl who stood up against the Taliban itself and said, I will be educated, and so too should all other females in an Islamic-controlled state. When she was on her way to school, in fact, one day, armed men got on her bus on the way to school and said, where is Malala? When she was pointed out, she was shot at point-blank range. Her father and others rushed to save her life, shipping her off to necessary hospitalization in Paris, France. Malala came, too, from her coma, and even though part of her face is now permanently paralyzed due to the wound of the bullet, she continued on undeterred, being the youngest recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize at 17, and still to this day, being one that would say to you and to me, good trouble is necessary trouble. You see, sometimes the powers that be are not working in alignment with God's will. And if we, church, are not people that will stand up and say no and enter into good trouble on behalf of not only one another, but moreover those who have no representation, then who will? Shipra and Pua were two individuals who grasped this concept that knew if they were complicit with Pharaoh's plan, an entire generation of God's people would meet their demise. For without any males, there can be no Hebrew offspring. So they gathered with their other midwives and said the following, This is what Pharaoh says, one who believes himself to be the supreme authority, but here is what God says. It says, in effect, that Shipra and Puah feared God more than they did man. And as such, they came up with a ruse, basically saying that Pharaoh, the Egyptian women are weak, are wimps, but the Hebrew women are strong. And by the time that we have already made it to the moment of birth, the baby is already arrived and, in fact, hidden from our sight. So you see, Pharaoh, it's not something we can help you with. It leads to us to believe that Pharaoh, as he believes this ruse, is somewhat of an incompetent, surely something that the author is using to take a jab. But undeterred, it says that Pharaoh persisted, then declaring that any and all babies, especially those who were males, were to be thrown into the Nile River. But what he wasn't counting on is that Shipra and Pua had started a resistance movement that was going to carry forward and secure the safety of every Hebrew baby, no matter the cost. 
You might remember that it was one named Moses who was born to a Hebrew family. He was not thrown into the Nile, but instead he was hidden in the Nile amongst the bulrushes. Every time he was hungry, his mother would come and feed him. And when his mother was not near, his sister would watch him. It was Moses that would be literally plucked from the Nile River by the princess of Pharaoh. He would be raised in the Egyptian castle, but then he would become an outlaw until he was called by that burning bush to come back and, and God's words, let my people go. Pharaoh leads Moses the opportunity to lead to the ultimate deliverance of God's people. But before there could ever be a Moses, there had to be a Shipra and a Puha. You see, getting into good trouble is something that benefits God's people from generation to generation. You might think that your contribution, your rebuttal of the world's powers is small in this day, but ultimately it leads to generations in the future that will look back upon your life and say, Thank God for those who feared God more than man and had faith enough not to be complicit with evil's scheme, but instead work towards the deliverance of any and all. It leads me to believe that there are a few key signatures of good trouble which we need to understand and, in fact, apply to our worlds. For no matter who you are, no matter where you are, I want to guarantee you the following. If you live in a way of faith that honors God, there will definitely be opportunities for you to get into good trouble. For the ways of God are not the ways of this world, and it will be in those moments at that time in which God looks at you and says, who do you fear more? Or perhaps, maybe more accurately, who do you love more? My approval or that of man? And the people of God who are willing to enter into good trouble will declare resolutely that they love God more than they do the world. Here's one thing that I think is a signature of good trouble. It's this, good trouble asks the questions that everybody else is afraid to ask. Have you ever been that person that at the end of the meeting, there was an elephant in the room? It had not yet been identified, but you or someone else had the courage to raise your hand and address what was on everybody's hearts and minds, but they were afraid to say aloud. At that time, you were one that entered into good trouble, and praise be to God for it. For we all have questions that we know need to be asked, and we're not going to be satisfied when we hear answers that are undecisive and unclear. No, we'll ask the question again, perhaps in a different way, until it comes clear what is on the hearts and minds of all. Good trouble asks the questions that everybody else is afraid to ask, but you as a person of God will not be afraid. 
This question came clearly into my mind here in this recent week. I was across the street having a committee member meeting with the Youth Search Committee. We were expecting one of our committee to come in late, and so when the door opened, I thought that it would be our dear brother, but instead it was two homeless people like so many others in Carroll County who was looking for some sort of relief. I've heard this story countless times here in my eight months as senior pastor. There is a great problem here in our immediate area with our indigent population. Those who live behind your favorite department stores and that little trace of woods. Those who put up shanties and tents and eke out an existence when it is 95 degrees outside or it is pouring rain. They go from place to place. And so the question that has been on my heart and mind, maybe a question that we've been afraid to ask is, what are we doing as a city that will help these indigent people out of that moment of crisis and God willing, put them on a correct path so that they can have a sustainable housing solution. If you know, you understand that there is no homeless shelter in all of Carroll County. Yes, there are various organizations that do their best and try to provide temporary relief, but in terms of a fixed building, a structure with an ongoing ministry, there is no homeless shelter in our area. One question that I want to ask, and I hope others will join me, is what is the sustainable solution? What is the plan for this growing population of indigent people here in our community? And of course, how can we help? Yes, Good Trouble is always willing to ask the question that others are afraid to ask. Good Trouble is also someone who is willing to do the things that raises the eyebrows of others. You know you've gotten that look before, haven't you? Someone that indicates with their facial expression that what you're doing is maybe out of place or out of line. Sometimes it's fairly obvious. There is a furrow of the brow, a look of consternation. Sometimes hands are raised like this in exasperation. What do you think you're doing, they seem to be implying. This is the exact look that everybody that embraces good trouble must be prepared to receive. For if we are to advocate for those who have no voice, there are going to be some that say, this is going to be inconvenient to me. It certainly was for Pharaoh who had a 10-point plan on how to eliminate the Hebrew threat. But undeterred, Chipra and Puha went before God Almighty and determined to keep life alive, for they knew that all life was sacred. In our 175 history, I think that we can praise God for moments in which we as a church have taken actions that have correctly raised eyebrows. You might know that we have a sister church also named First Baptist Church Carrollton on Old Bremen Road. This church was an off-split of our church when freedmen and the eradication of slavery came into the history of our country. 
This church is one that has continued to have relationship with us, and it has come to my attention that in one specific moment of our collective histories, our church benefited from a very generous estate gift from a deceased church member. It was those gathered there around that time that decided that we should, in fact, tithe 10% of the money that we were to receive that would go towards helping our sister church, First Baptist Church, Carrollton, build a sanctuary. I can tell you that probably there were a few eyebrows raised in concern. And I might say that some of them were raised in concern because what business does a white church have doing helping a black church? But this church said we are one family of God, and that which is ours is really, truly ours. We will not be undeterred when people raise their eyebrows in consternation and concern at us. We will be faithful to God and fear him more than man. And let me tell you that as a result of that faithfulness in that time, we truly have brothers and sisters at Old Bremen Road. This past Tuesday, I, along with the worship team and some of you gathered here, went and led in revival service. And I just want to tell you that it was a celebration of God's family. There were amens and there were praise gods. You know, the people in the pews there actually talked back to me. And I got to tell you, I liked it a lot. <laughs> we had so much fun that as we were leaving, we told Pastor Cedric Duncan, next time, our place. And he said, I'm going to hold you to it. So I'm asking all of you to hold me to it. Next time, First Baptist Church Carrollton is coming here, and we're going to celebrate the fact that because we were willing to raise a few eyebrows, we have brothers and sisters, not just in name only, but in action. Amen? Amen. That's better. <laughs> Last but not least, good trouble is willing to pay the price for our actions. Shipra and Pua were able to more or less get away with the good trouble they entered into. Their lives did not end in death or dismemberment, although that very well could have been the case. In fact, it goes on to say that because of their faithfulness, they themselves were blessed with families and their names accordingly are remembered forever. But that's not always the case. Our actions to get into good trouble, quite honestly, carry with them very difficult circumstances. But I might add, aren't we glad that's the case? For the founder and author of our faith, in fact, one who is called the perfecter, was one who was not afraid to get into good trouble. It was Jesus Christ who consistently asked the questions that nobody else was willing to ask. It was Jesus Christ who consistently did actions like sitting down with the sinners and the tax collectors and saying that they too are children of God that raised the eyebrows of the authority of that day. And it was Jesus Christ who consistently was willing to embrace all of these circumstances and the consequences that came as a result of his actions, not only because Jesus by many was viewed as an outcast, 
as a loner, as a social pariah, but because of his actions and faithfulness to God, because he feared the way of the heavenly father more than he loved this world, he was led to the cross. You see, without good trouble, Jesus never would have had that ultimate confrontation with evil in which he paid the price for your sins and mine and in which he prevailed in victory as he rose from the tomb on the third day, declaring that any and all who are willing to engage in good trouble on behalf of my heavenly father have got a heck of an insurance plan. For the resurrection lifestyle will come into fuel, fuel view. You will not be defeated ultimately, but you'll be remembered victoriously because from generation to generation, your willingness to embrace good trouble has made an eternal difference. So my friends, the question for all of us today is the following. What good trouble is before us? What opportunities are there for us to ask the questions that no one else will ask? What good questions are there today to act bravely in such a way that it is in complete contrast to the society and the culture which we live, and it makes people look at us with concern and consternation? And ultimately, what good trouble is it today that will bring us consequences, yes, but will ultimately reveal to us the quality of our faith. I think for all of us today, whether you are a young child or you are a senior adult, there's somebody that you can speak on behalf of. There's somebody that you can stand up for. There's somebody on whose behalf you can act radically so that they will know that they are not alone. So we should pray collectively, give us, oh God, eyes that we can see and ears that we can hear, those who are in need, those who will know that there are brothers and sisters willing to say, for you, a fellow image bearer of God Almighty, I will get into good trouble. I will ask the question. I will do the actions which raise eyebrows, and I will pay whatever price is necessary because I fear God. I love God more than this world. If you are one who is a follower of Jesus, I invite you to lean into this moment. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, I ask you to consider following him, proclaiming him Lord of your life, for he was one that spoke for you when you had no voice. He was one that suffered the penalty for you when you had nothing left to give. And he invites you to him to have a relationship with his heavenly father and to know God's love now and forevermore. These decisions are yours to take as we stand and as we sing this hymn of invitation located in our worship bulletin. It is hymn number 60, like a river glorious. Will you stand, will you sing, and will you respond as God leads?